Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning. Scott Lute and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? Doing quite well. How are you doing? I'm doing a wonderful, great weekend, a wonderful weekend. Lots, lots of rest, catching up, got the tree, got things decorated, Did. assembled the Christmas village, nice. which is a fun tradition. You ever done that? Uh, yeah, yeah. My wife has quite the Christmas village, and we visited some friends during the week who it's like the New York City of Christmas villages. <laughs> <laughs> I got to check. I'm going to come over and, and uh, compare notes in. We love, we have a small but growing collection and it's fascinating. It's a good tradition. Now you're on the road again today from yes. Kansas City. Is that right? Kansas City. Yep. Yeah. Uh, went to the Chiefs game last night and uh, it was a pretty calm night. Actually, it was pr pretty cold. So believe it or not, Chiefs fans were relatively quiet. Really? And Yeah. And it wasn't much of a game. So, I mean, there wasn't, you know, the, even at 10-3, I think nobody was really that worried. There was no sign, of, <laughs> no real signs of life from the Broncos. Well, Kansas uh, City continues to to um, put wins in the uh, the winning. Uh, they're they're what leading the division now. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So all of the division leaders are eight and four now in the AFC. How about that? How about that? Yeah. Well. I never slept on the Chiefs. I knew they were going to bounce back and be good, and you never know. Maybe maybe they're on the path back to the Super Bowl this year. There are a lot of good teams in the NFL right now. There really are. If you look at, at any of the lists of who's in and who's out, the list of who's out consists of the Detroit Lions. Everyone right. else is – I mean, virtually everyone else <laughs> is, has a statistically viable chance of, of making the playoffs. Well, you know, one last comment. I really wish – and we're going to talk about – inventory and hoarding inventory uh, later in the hour. I really wish yeah. when the Falcons were playing really good football, I wish we had hoarded all of that inventory from two or three years ago to use it now because it's it's painful to watch this Falcons team. But uh, It's hey. a shame you can't do that, right? <laughs> when the really game is, is played by robots, maybe then you can. Oh, Maybe so. Maybe so. But hey, folks, uh, today is it's all about supply chain buzz, right? We're tracking uh, some of the leading – stories across global business and yeah. we've got a big time guest joining us about 12 25 p.m as we welcome in joel beal ceo and co-founder of alloy so buckle up get ready because we want to hear from you too as we work our way through the stories now greg we're gonna make a quick announcement and after we do mm. we got a bunch of folks uh jumping into the stream with us here today including barb sexton we'll go ahead and say hello to barb uh, we're gonna be talking with members of her team later today barb hope this finds you well yeah, and speaking of great football teams, the Arizona Cardinals—they are the, the real deal. <laughs> they I sure do not are. Want to um, face them in the Super Bowl? That quarterback, Kyle, Kyle Murray, Kyler, Kyle Murray, Kyler right? Murray. Yep, he is uh, remarkable. Barb, hope this finds you well and uh, safe travels. I think I saw that you were traveling this week, as always. So, all the best to you and members of the Omnia Partners team. Okay. So, Greg, uh, we got to give a shout out to our uh, partners for this show, Azul Arc. Now, you know, Azul Arc built our marvelous new website at supplychainnow.com. As you know, Greg, they're a leader in UX, right? User experience design right. and development of websites. Also, though, custom software applications, especially for the supply chain industry. So, big thanks to Zahir. And the top-notch team over at Azul Arc, and you can find out more at azularc.com. Your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, they may have done a few more sites than ours. Uh, I, I mean, they've done hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know, but uh, I think we talked about this last week. They also did Vector Global Logistics, and I think you and I both had the same reaction when we saw that one, which is, wow, that's cool, right? Um, and and yeah, and they work with technology companies, so. Uh, UX is such an important part. The user experience is such an important part of getting users engaged in a technology. In fact, it's as every bit as important as even the you know quant and mathematics and and uh, all of the other magic behind the scenes. So that's right. 
you got to get people to be- use it to create value and all that other magic. Right. I think of Michael Scott whenever I hear magic and I think of a big top hat, top hat upside down with lots of tricks in it. And that's what uh, Azul Arc probably has at their offices, but uh, they do good work. But Check no them out. Michael Scott. No, yeah, no Michael Scott. He was not available. Uh, not this time. Uh, check them out at azulark.com. Also, want to mention we've got a, a great upcoming webinar coming up December 9th, just this week, uh, 12 noon Eastern time. Join Corinne Burse and I as we connect with the Transplace team uh, one more time as Chrissy Glass, Michelle McBride talk about many of the learnings uh, they have gleaned from their work with over 6,000 uh, partners that make up their ecosystem and growing. So join us December 9th, 12 noon. You can check out that link in the show notes. It's going to be a good one, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, Transplace, literally the Uber of Transplace. <laughs> right. How about that? Uh, it's yeah. been a big year. Big yeah. year for them, for sure. Okay, let's say hello to a few of the folks that have uh, have joined us here today. And then, Greg, we've got a full plate today. Uh, yep. left, uh, it's like a big plate of Thanksgiving leftovers. So much turkey and, and mashed potatoes and Goodness, mac if and you've cheese. still got Thanksgiving leftovers, people, <laughs> please throw them out. Do not. That's, <laughs> that's right. Well, Seem, uh, via LinkedIn, great to have you here today via Bangladesh. Uh, looking forward to your perspective as we work through a, a variety of topics from semiconductors to wearables to inflation and then some. Avinash tuned in for, via LinkedIn from India. Great to see you here today. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Look, absolutely. Uh, I bet this is Jaime. Jaime tuned in from Peru via LinkedIn. Is that right, Greg? Did I get that right? Jaime Cardenas del Carpio. Not man. How about that? That, that was Hollywoodish, uh, Greg. That was nice. <laughs> That was that was with an Argentinian accent. So sorry, okay. <laughs> Well, and and you know, it's been a little while since we've reminded folks you, you've got family roots tracing back to Argentina, right? Still existing there, yeah. Yeah. That's I've awesome. 150 or so relatives. I miss seeing that picture. You used to have an image of land there. I should so. carry it with me, shouldn't I? Right? It would go really nice right here. I'm I'm afraid it would get broken in my bag though. <laughs> Well, let's let's go visit that image yeah, uh, at go. some point in the weeks Live ahead. Live from Tandil. <laughs> but uh, Amy, uh, great to have you here today. Looking forward to your perspective. Michael Aver is back. Michael, hope this finds you well. He's tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you here. Mike Hill is back. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning all. That's right, Mike. <laughs> uh, folks are tuned in from around the world, and they're telling what time it is, other than a time full of end-of-year pressure, whether your consumer's buying gifts, or whether your supply chain folks make it happen. But Mike, hope this finds you well. When you guys say that, I always think of the Truman Show. Yes. Right? <laughs> what a great movie. Great yeah. movie. Gene Pledger from North Alabama is with us. Tuned in via LinkedIn. Gene, hope this finds you well today. And you had a good uh, weekend. Jaime is is uh, complimenting your Spanish. That's rare when you're from Argentina for someone to compliment your Spanish. <laughs> So great work there, as always, Greg. T-Squared is back with us. Uh, he holds down the fort for us at YouTube. Call it what it is, nourishment gone bad. He's talking about those Thanksgiving those leftovers. leftovers yeah. <laughs> we need some new nourishment here, please. Supply chain management nourishment, too. I'm with you, T-Squared. Oh, yeah. But welcome, everybody. So glad that you're here. Hey, we want to hear from you. So uh, get ready. We've got, I think, five stories we're going to be working through here today. The first couple with Greg and I, and then we got Joel Beal again. Uh, joining us about 1225. In the meantime, you can check out uh, his organization, Alloy, at alloy.ai. Okay, so Greg, let's move yes, right into the news here today. Are you ready? Yes, sir. We got some, we're, we're, we're kicking things off with mm-hmm. some good news. We can't get enough good news, right? So uh, this, in particular, from the world of semiconductors, especially in automotive. So according to this story, via the Nikkei Asia, the global supply of computer chips for the automotive industry is finally starting to increase. In fact, inventories at the end of September were up for chip makers across the globe from Japan to Germany to the U.S. Right. Production, and there's there's two particular reasons here. Production disruptions at chip factories have eased. I mean, you know, Greg, we we were faced uh, from fires, to uh, lack of water and rain, to you, you name it. Uh, everything. It was a perfect storm that really hit this all at once. And the contract chip makers at these foundries, as they're shifting back to automotive, because as we all know, they shifted from automotive to other things like chips for uh, smartphones, you name it. Uh, 
when those orders were going down. Well, they've shifted back, and that's now starting to be felt, that shift back. Now, Continental, a company in Germany that is one of the world's top auto parts suppliers, they said on a recent earnings call that, quote, we do believe the worst of the semiconductor shortage is behind us. Well, that doesn't mean it's 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 easy uh, it's easy street just yet. But hey, right. that's good news, and I'll take it. Greg, your thoughts? Well, the worst was pretty bad, wasn't it? I mean, I think I shared last week that we've been waiting uh, around six months for a car um, to be delivered. We saw ages ago around the summer we saw just thousands and thousands of cars sitting idle waiting for that final chip so that they could actually be started. Um, and we know why it happened too. I, I think we need to acknowledge that. And that is that the, the chip makers were happy to make, continue making and shipping chips um, shortly after the pandemic and lockdowns hit, but the automakers would not commit via POs to right. orders. So we, I'm going to be, I'm going to be kind and say we did it to ourselves. <laughs> if we are GM, Ford, Toyota, <laughs> Nissan, right? Um, BMW, Audi, right? <laughs> the I list mean, goes on and on, right? Yeah, it does. It does go on and on. And and um, you, you'll also recall that during the summer we were talking about reshoring chip manufacturing. In fact, just yesterday, Governor Abbott from Texas said Texas will be the hub of semiconductors. Really? Yeah, I doubt it. But he said it. <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, the thing we have to acknowledge also is that China controls many of the rare earth materials in semiconductors. So it's you're going to be hard pressed. Uh, We we do have some um, rare earth mineral resources here in in North America, and there are in many other countries, but not nearly enough to facilitate uh, the kind of production that we we need nationwide or else we'd be doing it before the crisis. Right. And there's been some talk and some reporting that uh, rare earth mineral mining may, uh, there may be more investment here in the States to reclaim yeah. some of that. As we know, yeah. Greg, it's a, it's a real dirty business. It's high, highly regulated. And we'll see, you know, if that comes to fruition. Yeah, that's, I think that's what Governor Abbott is thinking because there's some good stores, relatively good stores in Texas there. Well, I don't mean stores. Seeing- like you can't go to buy stores and buy rare earth minerals. <laughs> right. Not yet. Amazon's opening a new page as we speak, maybe. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, uh, we've also Good seen <laughs> Ford and GMC try to find new ways of redesigning more customized and uh, different chips that may use different, um, you know, uh, different supplies going into them to, to kind of create some, um, get around uh, the bottleneck that has been. So we'll see how that plays well, out. They changed as well. their production methodology too, right. To basically going back to the fifties when people ordered cars and um, you don't quite get the customization that you got back then, but I mean, right. they prioritize those cars that were ordered and pre-sold and essentially, I don't know if every car is, but I can tell you that every car I have considered buying is, is effectively pre-sold. You have to buy it before it comes off the factory. It's unbelievable. Um, Unbelievable. Um, and still, most experts are still pointing to the second half of 2022 before we really have the breakthrough that I think everybody's looking for. Yeah. So uh, y'all watch for that. I'm going to take a couple of quick comments here. We got a bunch of them. Uh, Matt is back with us. Matt, great to see you here today. He says, just in time for a new car in the new year. How about that? Right. Uh, Michael's talking about uh, Texas as well. Michael says, Austin go. just got Samsung's chip plant. Now, that probably takes – what, two to three years to stand up one of those semi- semiconductor manufacturing sites, Greg? Um, no, I don't know. It's hard okay. to say. With all the clean room and all of that, it's hard. It's probably a long-term process. Yep, agreed. Mohib, good morning from Wichita, the air capital of the world. Sunny with a touch of chilliness. We, hey, Mohib, we got to see a weather map if you're going to pull the, that's, the weather. Yeah, that's an understatement. I mean, and when you live in Atlanta, 30 degrees is cold. Let's just that's right. cold. Rich is pointing out what you shared, Greg. China accounts for over 95% of the world's production of rare earth materials. Unbelievable. Uh, Matt says, time for some new inventional chips. Use some artificially made products uh, more so than the current ones. That's a great idea, Matt. I'll leave that to the um, – I imagine you got to be Big pretty smart. Heads to figure yeah, out. To yeah, to design a semiconductor. So a lot smarter than me. 
Um, but hey, still, it's good news, folks. We're seeing uh, ways of getting around the pressure, just like supply chain folks always find a way, right? Uh, some uniquely challenging um, uh, elements to this chip journey that we've all been tracking, but we'll see if the uh, heightened supply continues. So, Greg, moving right along, again, before we bring in our special guest in about 10 minutes here, Joel Beal with Alloy, I want to talk about the hot investment world of wearables because the pandemic pandemic has dramatically changed the wearables market. Now, yep. Greg, I'm going to get your take, but from what I've gathered, a uh, big part of the reason is the, is the big focus on work fa- workforce safety. Mm-hmm. A company named Verve Motion has an exosuit that reduces back strain by some 30 to 40%. And then you've got yep. a, a Rolling Stone app that this article points out. It's deployed by Koch Trucking to help truck drivers with wellness programs. And, uh, you know, all, all these programs, as they come with impact, I imagine it does create some investment opportunities. So what's your take here? Yeah, I mean, it, I think um, it's kind of a dual-edged sword, right? This, this is the kind of technology that has to be used right. It will probably be viewed suspiciously, um, like things like dash cams were by drivers in the trucking right. industry and various other sort of big brother type or, you know, potentially big brother type products are usually. Uh, but I think there's a ton of value here. Uh, and, and what I see generally is technologies really uh, creating benefit for both the workforce and for their employers. Um, in fact, uh, a couple of the folks that I was with yesterday uh, work for a company called Dari Motion, fascinating mm. technology where they can like scan you and tell you where you've got range of motion issues. So wow. imagine you have one of these wearables. Um, and you've been assigned to go pick up something that weighs 70 pounds and you've got a shoulder problem. You know, the two, the two technologies could communicate to avoid an injury. I think the preemptive nature of this is as important as, um, you know, as the tracking and, and data and that sort of thing to keep people safe. But I, I got to tell you this, I just want to tell you, this is just fascinating <laughs> to me. So it was a three hour, three hour ride from Wichita. Three to, hour tour. To, yeah. To hour Kansas tour. City. So we got to talk about this thing. <laughs> So what Dari does is they can scan your your body and 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 identify where you've got immobility uh, in in your body. So they've helped athletes become more effective. Josh Allen um, changed the way that he was throwing the ball, moved his hips more forward rather than leading with his elbow, which is a thing if you're a professional quarterback. Wow! They identified uh, a number of players that they predicted would get hurt in you know, in the first few weeks of the NFL season, and they were 10 for 10. So think about the value of that in a workplace like we're talking about. In, in a workplace that is every bit as physical, though you don't take quite the hits, but every bit as physical as a football, basketball, or baseball game. I mean, it's not, not quite as fun. There's no there's no major league for, for tossing boxes. Right. But maybe that should be. <laughs> well, but, so all- but then you combine that with the ability to preempt those injuries, and I think right. that becomes really, really valuable. So agreed. Well, you know, I think that's one of the several lines we've talked about it uh, quite a bit uh, from the pandemic is a bigger focus on protecting our workforce. Right? They've had to endure so much these last couple of years. Uh, so no wonder, Greg. I, I know as, as a um, entrepreneur, an investor. Uh, someone that knows that side of the business world, you're not surprised by the all of a sudden uh, a hot investment opportunity in the wearables market, right? Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's, you know, it's been a, a while coming. I mean, if you think about it, if you have an Apple Watch, it's the precursor to something that's maybe a little bit more advanced and maybe more uh, um, medically compliant, because, of course, what's going on in your body is you're owned by you and you don't owe it to anyone else, including right. your employer. So. Um, that kind of that kind of protecting the HIPAA privacy while while still managing to um, keep workers safe and to keep keep uh, employers um, notified of those kind of things. It's super powerful. There's right. uh, you know there's a big opportunity out there, and of course, um, yeah, investment has been piling into frankly everything to do with supply chain or or medical. Right. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been a big motion in that direction. I got to check out one of these exo suits. That's a step, you know, it's taking us a couple steps toward my my childhood goal of, be, of becoming a transformer, uh, Greg. So if, if we can do that and save on back pain, hey, sign me up. And clearly, 
they've been signing up investors. I think I saw that, uh, let's see, that company's name was Verve Motion. I think they got a $15 million investment as they're looking to what's coming up next. So uh, it's great to hear. Well, and if you if you can fit it under your clothes, imagine it makes you stronger, you know, and uh, nobody knows you're wearing it. That would be right. awesome. <laughs> I doubt Sign it me up. like that. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to share this comment here. So Matt says, I was thinking of this some time ago when I got my back hurt. The seats in the cars might be more healthy, more ergonomical. Uh, my longest drive, no stop, he says, was 10 hours straight. I bet that was painful. Uh, and Matt, uh, you maybe if you're driving a truck, let us know. We'd love to, to learn a lot more about that. Matt says, wearables, it makes his spaghetti diagram much easier to prepare. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. As we're tracking steps in these facilities, right? Wasted wasted motion, wasted uh, foot traffic. Uh, along those lines, Mike Aver says, helps managers use their team resources yep. as efficient as possible. I mean, imagine you know where everyone is. You can avoid collisions, right? You can chart the shortest path. I mean, that that's being done with robots today. Right. It's harder we, to do or has been harder to do with humans because they're not monitored as closely, right? Right. Uh, Scott Amos Prime. Yes, that, maybe that, that'd be my Transformer nickname. I don't know. Um, and so also, Greg, along those lines is, you know, it, you can relay out facilities, right? When You know, for years they've had – uh, apps in your cell phone that 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 if folks opted in, it helps track motion. But man, we're taking that to a whole new level, which is outstanding. Um, let's see here. Moheep talks about uh, probably insourcing back on the chip side. I think he says insourcing has many sustainable benefits: limited transportation, less wait times at the port to pick up your containers, less carbon emissions, less carbon footprint in your supply chain and a little bit more fresh air left for my grandkids. That is a beautiful picture that you paint there, Mohit. Yeah, indeed. Um, okay, so I've got 1222, Greg. I think we have uh, we have walked through these first two stories. We've got uh, about halfway through our big plate full of Thanksgiving leftovers. Are we ready to bring in our special guest here today, Greg? I just want to be clear. You're not talking about actual leftovers, right? <laughs> No, you know, okay. well, once we get a theme, we stick with it and beat the heck oh, out of it. it. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I thought um, of a little theme. So once we bring Joel in, I want to I want to float a theme by him for his favorite uh, his favorite NFL player. Love it. Uh, well, and let's start just there. So let's bring into the stream. We want to welcome in our special guest, Joel Beal, CEO and co-founder at Alloy. Hey, hey, Joel, how you doing? Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Greg. Hey. It's so. Good to see you. Likewise. Uh, your ears have been burned a little bit. I feel like I should have showed up with a plate of leftovers, but I uh, didn't have time to grab that out of the refrigerator. And I think we might be low at this point. We might have gotten through it. <laughs> well, That's hey, Joel, good. you don't miss a beat, and I love that. Uh, and we may, be, we may be having a little bit of lag. It could be on my end, uh, but just to give you all a heads up there. Um, Greg, you wanted to ask Joel a question about football, right? Yeah, the, well, the kids may be playing Fortnite, Joel. Just in case you need to check. Um, <laughs> so we were talking. We were talking before the show about your favorite Seahawks player, Marshawn Lynch, and the good deed that he does every Thanksgiving, giving out turkeys. Right. So Correct. I got I got something for you. How about this? Call it feast mode. Oh. <laughs> Greg, nice man, nice. And and for those maybe not in the know, uh, Marshawn's uh, yeah. standard nickname has been Beast Mode. Well, Greg uh, made a little play off of Beast Mode's charitable efforts. I think for years that's been like a a, a year over year occurrence. Is that right, Joel? Yeah, that's my understanding. At least I've seen a couple of videos over the past couple of years. Love it. And Greg, Joel shared uh, pre-show with us that he hopes that the charitable efforts this year didn't create a, uh, a shortage somewhere else in the somewhere country. Else. Because, yeah, <laughs> because Marshawn had an entire truckload of turkeys, right? Yes, the videos I've seen, <laughs> he, he doesn't do it in the same spot. I think I saw Hawaii one year, Oakland another year. So he's that demand shock showing up in your city. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. We're going to talk about that. Yes, we sure are. And on that note, let's go ahead and transition. But I uh, love to see these uh, sports athletes giving back. That's a, such a wonderful tradition that Marshawn is doing. Um, so let's switch gears here. 
Uh, so, Joel, I think we've got three stories we're going to walk through and, and chat with you about. Uh, for starters, as reported by CNBC, the Omicron variant is another punch to the gut of global supply chains. So, you know, folks here are in particular, they're watching to see China's response as well as to see the regional impact across the globe as this thing continues to do, do what do what um, um, viruses do, right? Uh, look for ways to expand. So we're all kind of waiting to see what um, how this thing plays out. Joel, your take here first. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting. We first heard about Omicron, what, a week or two ago? Probably all learned how to try to pronounce it, which we were talking about earlier. <laughs> and right. You know, to me, it's it's not about Omicron per se. It's a continuing pattern. You know, experts have been saying this about the pandemic from the start. You know, we're almost two years into this at this point of, you know, right. there are going to be waves um, and different things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, I think we have no idea at this point if this wave is going to be meaningful or not. Although I do think we're seeing countries responding pretty quickly and shutting down borders, limiting travel. I think there's still open questions about if it's going to impact manufacturing and other things. Um, But to me, it it spells more of a broader theme that I'm seeing a lot as I talk to people in the industry. Uh, For a long time, people have kind of had this attitude. A lot of our customers or people we'll talk to, they'll say, well, can we just ignore 2020? It was an outlier. COVID hit. (laughs) You know, there were demand spikes, you know, things went all over the place. You know, when I'm forecasting, let's just, let's pretend 2020 never happened. Or if I'm doing comps, I'm not confident against 2020. Well, we're, we're almost at the end of 2021. And we're talking about other waves. We're talking about other supply chain impacts, you know, that are happening. And so this isn't about a single wave or a single event. This is about a change in how we think about uncertainty and risk in the world. Um, and this could be, you know, one that ends up having a big impact. It could be something that's relatively small. Um, but that to me is, is how people need to be changing. We're not going back to some world that was more stable. You know, we're going to be in a world of uncertainty and you're going to have to operate your supply chain against that. I think for, for many years to come. Right. And that's a great take. It's not like, um, this is an obstacle course. And when we're done with it, we go back to, uh, you know, easy street the way before we entered the obstacle course, things are changing. Things are changing in the short term and the long term. Uh, consumers' uh, preferences are changing. So naturally, you know, the, the game has changed uh, in so many ways. Greg, your take. Yeah, well, I think we have to recognize that call it Omicron, call it Delta, call it whatever you want, call it a ship stuck in, in the Suez Canal. These cause impacts on the consumer, and the consumer, as you know, I say, is the beginning and the end of the supply chain. So whenever we disrupt the consumer's life with a new variant or lockdowns or even the, the proposition of lockdowns by China, which has been their policy, right? The COVID zero policy. Right. Um, that's going to change behaviors. And um, so that's, you know, that's something we have to have our eyes on it. I mean, I don't want to say Omicron is not material. It is, of course, material. But right. it is just another one of those disruptions that Joel has been talking about. And frankly, those disruptions saving the pandemic and the government's responses to it um, that have caused a lot of this disruption, um, those kind of disruptions have been happening all along. It's just nobody cared about supply chain before. Right. right. Joel, you were shouting in the wind before, right? Now people want to hear it. They, their eyes don't glaze over at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, I think that's the other thing we have to recognize. And that's why companies have to be particularly diligent is because now they're in the forefront of of annual reports and excuse making, just like sales and and finance has been for so many years. Right. Yeah. Well said there, Greg. Joel? Yeah. Yeah. I think, Greg, that jogged the thought for me. Um, we were getting together with a number of supply chain executives and they were talking about this world where they're making, you know, you go to extraordinary efforts on the supply chain side to make sure you have inventory today. I mean, everybody's doing that. We're in a, yep. a world of increased demand and and reduced supply. Uh, and everybody, you know, if you if you can get inventory, you can sell it. <laughs> That's a short answer for most of these, these companies. Right. But it was 
you know, bringing supply chain to the forefront. And I think, you know, a lot of people were laughing about how, you know, sales looks great because if I can get them inventory, they can sell it, you know, no problem. And they're not mm -hmm. having to discount like they did in the past, but there's no doubt. Supply chain used to be, you know, it was in the, the B sections, the C sections, the D sections of the newspaper. I guess that's an, that makes me feel old, right? Even talking about a physical <laughs> newspaper, but, you know, seeing it at the front of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing because people see, see how their, their lives are impacted when, when these things happen. Right. Yeah. Excellent point there. And hey, you fit right in. I talk about Wheaties and Reader's Digest. So you fit right in <laughs> talking newspapers here. Uh, all good fun. All right. So a uh, really quick shout out. Peter Bolay all night and all day is back with us. Peter, hope you had a great weekend and great to see you here today. Um, we're talking about, uh, we just wrapped up a section on Omicron and some of the things we're doing there, including uh, all eyes on China to see how they're going to respond. But on a, on a related note, we're talking inflation, right? Inflation. And I'm so glad we've got the two of y'all here because um, I'm going to tell you, it took me three tries just to get through accounting two in college. So I'm going to lean on y'all's uh, financial expertise, but painful topic. Uh, inflation, interesting perspective from Mark Lawless uh, via the Institute of Business Forecasting and Planning. So in this article, he's got a quote that says, overall inflation in the U.S. is about two to three times the average inflation rate experienced over the past 15 years, end quote. And of course, there's other commodities, as the article points out, that's far beyond uh, that two to three times. Um, so Joel, some folks, as we were chatting pre-show, may not know that you've got a deep background in economics. So what's your take when it comes to talking inflation? Well, inflation is just another type of uncertainty. <laughs> to me, there's it follows this pattern. Now, this is something that's happening beyond just supply chains, although they're a big part of this right now. Um, and you know that that comment in the article of you know we're we're 3x what we have been historically. You know, generally in economics, right. you think of two to three percent as being a healthy inflation rate. We expect there's going to be some. The key thing is it needs to be predictable, right? That allows everybody to adjust their prices accordingly. There's always you know extra money supply coming in. Um, so when you have these spikes, which we haven't seen since, you know, at this point, the 1970s, um, and they're they're unplanned. And that's the other thing is, you know, there was a lot of discussion, you know, a month or two ago. This is transitory, right? It's a one-off thing. Don't worry right. about it. I think now there's some pulling back from that saying, well, maybe not. This might might take longer. Um, and it's hard as a business, right? You say, look, when you're when you're running a supply chain, especially with longer lead times, with you know, needing to order farther in advance that we're gonna talk about. Here more in a moment. You know, you're com you're making those commitments with with price commitments, and if you don't know what the value of that money is going to be down the line, that's that's difficult. Um, so I, I think it's it's an interesting thing going on right now. The other thing I've been reading about is just how businesses pass this on. Right? What do you do? You know, we've been in a world where everybody's been obviously trying to reduce price, and I think you've got the big, right. you know, the Amazons, the WalMarts have been so successful at squeezing their supply chains. I think there's a recognition now you probably can't do that as much anymore. There's going to have to be some prices mm -hmm. passed on. So what does that look like? What prices do you pass on? How do consumers respond, right? Incomes have gone up, but prices are going up too. Um, I mean, the, the one I found probably the most interesting is, um, what is it? Uh, dollar Tree, you know, dollar store. I mean, their whole thing is we sell everything for a dollar. They, they bumped all their prices up to about 25, you know, so 25% right. price increase, you know, that doesn't even align with their name. But but at some point you have to make that <laughs> shift if um, right. you know these costs are coming down the line for you. Excellent point there. And Greg, you know, early on the uh, beginning of Joel's response there, once we know what we're up against and really know it in a tangible manner, then we could really have a much better certain idea of what the path is forward. Whether we're talking, you know, living with COVID right across the globe, right, or when it comes to inflation. Your take, Greg? I think it's been really difficult, especially on on inflation because the government doesn't know what they're doing. I mean, mm -hmm. the, you know, the fed, uh, has been, they just changed their policy again since, um, Powell was reinstated as fed chairman. And now instead of, instead of ceasing their easing process in June at a slower rate, they're going to increase the rate and cease it in March, which, you know, we've talked about forever, Scott, that, that that was going to have, you know, the, in, which will lead to an increase in interest rates. Joel, check me here. You're the economist, but correct. Um, but interest rates go up, inflation in goes rates. down, right? And and um, for so long, they have been 
inflation deniers. The term you use, Joel, transitory, has frustrated me for nigh on a year now because it was obvious it wasn't transitory for a year. If if you had the resources to get into the economy and do some studying like I did, I did some incredibly deep studying on chicken wings and how chicken wings went from $10 for for 10 wings to $20 for 10 wings virtually overnight. Why? Because like Dollar Tree, the, the, my vendor, my next door neighbor and his sports bar, they held on to that low price, hoping that inflation was transitory, finally realizing that it wasn't, and they couldn't eat the margin break anymore. So they had to up prices dramatically over a very short time. And I think we will, we'll continue to see that. I think we've seen a lot of the big breaks and that's why the numbers have been so big in the last couple of months in terms of annualized inflation. But I have no doubt that um, now that the Fed has confessed that it's not transitory, that there will be more relatively large price increases on the horizon because a lot of companies trusted the Fed and they thought they could hold out until this transitory inflation abated and then they would be able to hold their prices and maybe gain a little bit of margin back. But seeing that mm. it's not going to happen, um, I think that I think you could see some some spikes in pricing. I know that there are still people holding off on price increases right now. But that's I mean, and that's part of the problem is the Fed's job is not just to manage the money. It's also to manage our expectation and frankly, our emotions. Right. They, mm. they couldn't have admitted that inflation was not transitory. And then when they realized it wasn't, they couldn't instantly um, admit that it was transitory because they have to manage our actions and expectations or else consumers that we've been talking about would have reacted even more dramatically than they have over the last couple of years. Okay. I'm going to circle back to Joel and get your comments. Okay. Hey, as I, as I told y'all <laughs> in full transparency, uh, I am not, uh, <laughs> when it comes to economics, micro or macro, I'm not your guy. So I'm glad both y'all uh, can talk about fiscal policy and inform our global listenership. Really quick, I'm going to do. Appreciate that comment. Great to see you here via LinkedIn. Look forward to hearing your take here today. Uh, T-Squared says, hey, when too many dollars chase too few goods, it screams inflationary measures. Gene says, big problem in steel purchasing, uh, forecasting, and project pricing. I can only imagine there, Gene. I can remember that from my days in metal stamping, where even in, the, in a quote-unquote normal market, that meant quarterly repricing for, gosh, dozens, if not 100 parts. That was not my favorite aspect of that, that role. Uh, but thanks for that, Gene. Rich says, inflation is, in some respect, a macroeconomic impact and unintended consequence of not vaccinating the rest of the world. Big, big, big point uh, there, Rich. Um, okay, so Joel, what'd you hear? Whether it's something from Greg, something from the comments, or something to add to this uh, story about inflation? Well, there was a couple things. I mean, one, I think, you know, a really important point that Greg makes. I remember when I started learning about inflation and economics, and you're like, okay, they're telling me some inflation's okay. There's kind of a target rate. Um, all of it, it really comes down to the predictability that Greg talked about. It's so businesses can plan for it. And, and that's, again, to me, as I was just kind of reading, I mean, the, not just supply chain, but the world at large, there's just more uncertainty out there. And uncertainty is risk. Yeah. You can sit there and say, okay, right. I'm going to bake in, you know, I, I run a company too, you know, we're software. Um, but, you know, we have to look at our costs and, you know, how those are going to grow. And what does that mean for how we need a price to our customers? And then when there's predictability, you can bake it in, you can make your customers anticipate it. But what does it feel like? And Greg, I think you made a great point. Prices do not just change dynamically usually, right? You, you'll hold off for a while. And then, but then when you, when you let it go, all of a sudden it's a 15% or a 20% jump. It's not the 5% right. and that scares people and you don't know how they're going to respond. So it's, um, it's a challenge. Uh, it is, it is nice that people are taking it more serious now, <laughs> Um, and, uh, but, but I think that's the thing to emphasize is inflation's okay. Um, even if it's higher than we expect it to be, we just need to make sure that it's not shifting so much. Cause that's what really, really makes everything difficult. And forecasting is hard enough Agreed. as is. you don't need to add extra factors. <laughs> yeah. Right. We need more bedrock, uh, in today's environment for sure. Things we can lean on, things we can, we can, we can build around, we can plan on knowing that, uh, uh, we've hit more, 
solid ground. I mean, we'll take bedrock wherever we can get it. Greg, what how else would you respond to what Joel's saying there? Well, I mean, I think one of the things we have to acknowledge is that a lot of this disruption is because of government policy and government response to to the uh, the pandemic and to, I mean, necessary response, admittedly, some of it, some of it pandering like stimulus checks um, for people who could have gone back to work about three weeks after they were laid off. But um, but a lot of it, you know, a lot of it has we have to recognize that, that these organizations don't just have economic um, they don't just have economic roles or goals. Right. right. The government has to remain in power and they have to to some extent they have to appease the masses in order to do that. And that is, a you know, that's going to create a lot of unpredictability, especially as there are so many governments around the world. We've talked about this with varying policies where, you know, you have you have seafarers who have been vaccinated eight times because, right. the, you know, the policy in one port is different than the policy in another. So as we have all these these conflicting um, responses of politicians, frankly, then we're going to continue to have these very highly unpredictable disruptions because they are largely emotionally based. Mm. Okay. So with that said, if you are good with it, I want to. I'm ready to leave inflation. Where I could all. I think we're all ready to leave inflation. Don't <laughs> Amen. You? I think we all are. So I want to. So all these I things. It, I wish it worked like that, Scott. <laughs> right. Scott has all. declared no more inflation. <laughs> Yeah, more Michael Scott. I declare bankruptcy. That's a good, a great episode. Um, okay, so let's, on a related note, uh, uh, Joel, we're seeing more hoarding, but not with consumers, but with many retailers that are hoarding inventory to get around some of these pressures. So this this all comes to us via an article in the New York Times. What's going on here, Joel? Yeah, so um, and this is something we are seeing across the board. Uh, and again, it speaks to uncertainty. When there's greater uncertainty, if you look at how people calculate safety stock, so get a little bit technical here, right? The, the classic safety stock formula looks at what's forecasted demand and how much variability is there in my forecast accuracy and what does lead time look like and how much variability is there in a lead time. Every single one of those has gone up. <laughs> there's more demand, there's more unpredictability in demand, there are longer lead times, and there's less predictability in lead times. So everybody is pushing for more product right now because they need to be holding on to more more buffer. Um, and I think what you're seeing, at least all the reports I've seen, the WalMarts, the Home Depots, they're able to go get that inventory, right? They have that leverage with their suppliers. They say, "I need it, and you're gonna you're gonna give it to me." And it's really squeezing out a lot of of the smaller players. And the same dynamic mm. plays out a, a level back when you're talking about you know, these brands trying to, you know, get manufacturing capacity and make sure that they can produce their product. Same type of thing is going on. So if you're a smaller player, you know, the only way you get ahead of that is you're going to say, well, I'm going to make a commitment and I'm going to do it further in advance. I need to get that locked in. So at least I can make sure that I'm at the front of the queue. Um, I'm going to de-risk, you know, that vendor because I'm going to tell them I'm going to do it. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, that's how you have to play the game. This article talks about a lot of, you know, very small, you know, more mom and pop type businesses. But I mean, the numbers they're throwing out, I think in this example, you know, is carrying an extra $165,000 worth of inventory, which is a lot of money. Right. If you're running, you know, a, a single store um, because you just had to make that commitment in advance to say, I'm going to just bet that I'm going to have enough consumer demands and, and I'm going to, it's going to cost you for sure to hold it and hopefully you can sell it. So, um, right. Yeah. Um, interesting dynamic and one that obviously has the potential to lead to a lot of pain down the line if then the demand doesn't come through in the way people think it's going to. That's right. right. A calculated gamble for sure. Greg, your take. I think the example, the specific example, the lady with the shoe store bought 50% more inventory than she would ordinarily care, over 50% more inventory than she would carry. That's not right. Thir over 33% more inventory than she would normally carry this time of year. But um, that's I mean, that's substantial, right? And um, it is, it's a huge gamble. But I think, Joel, you alluded to this earlier. This supply chain is not a cost-saving exercise. It is a risk-balancing exercise. And she saw the investment in additional inventory as a lesser risk than potentially not getting the inventory and not being able to sell shoes in spring in Connecticut, 
Because guess when people start running in Connecticut, right? Um, or need new shoes from running in all that snow and salt. Um, so, so you know that that's what we have to recognize here. Also, in an inflationary environment, I bet you're going here, Joel. In an inflationary environment, hoarding inventory is a great idea. In fact, there's this entire concept of forward buying inventory. I worked for a company that, back in the late '70s and '80s, built a forward buying technology. And that's how they made their way in the marketplace initially, uh, because interest rates were so high or sorry, inflation rates were so high. Um, so this lady has actually done herself a greater service than she might know, as long as, to Joel's point, she bought the stuff that's going to sell. Right. Um, and I think we have to be really careful about that, because so many people in supply chains, they take a broad brush approach and say, I'm just going to buy more of everything. <laughs> My suggestion is just buy more of everything that sells really well. That's right. That is right. Uh, and folks, we're talking about this article uh, came to us via New York Times. It's free. I mean, one of my favorite things about all these stories uh, and, and coverage of supply chain is the specific stories, especially on the smaller companies and how they're navigating this. So this was a, a well-written story. Check it out. Uh, and you can sign up for an account free, as I learned over the weekend. So good yeah, stuff there. As I learned today. Yeah, <laughs> just in time, just in time. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's share a couple of quick comments here. And then, Joel, we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with you and the Alloy team that's been on the move. Man, y'all are racking it up, uh, award after award, and new business and growth. It's pretty exciting to see. Um, let's see, I think this is Jacqueline. Jacqueline is with us. Jacqueline, hope this finds you and the Twin Engines team well. You're right, my blue masks are now $5.99 when they used to be $1.99. Man, that's right. quite a jump. Holy cow. Now, Mohib took a little bit of issue with, I think, something Greg said. He says, hey, now, stimulus checks kept the economy and the supply chains moving. I'll give you a quick rebuttal there, Greg. For a while. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And but by the not, way. Mo not for as long as they were being paid. I mean, that's why we have such an incredible labor shortage right now. Mm. Right? Why mm. would you get a job when you can make $47,000 sitting at home? I mean, mm. it's just a fact. Right. Uh, and really quick aside, most of our listeners know this, but Mohib is on the faculty at, at uh, Wichita, Wichita uh, State University in Wichita, Kansas. Greg is an alum. So, hey, bless be the ties that bind for sure. Peter says, I expected my Christmas tree this year to cost north of $80. That might be Canadian dollars. But happy to say, pay what I did previous years from the same family that's been selling trees locally for 23 years. Peter, I'm with wow. you. Wow. Um, we're doing something similar uh, here in our neck of the woods. So uh, it's great to hear. T-Square says hoarding smells a lot like shortage rash, uh, rationing and, and gaming from the bullwhip effect. Well, yeah. And, it, and, you know, again, to Joel's point, it could create a bullwhip effect if that if she's wrong and has bought the wrong product. Right. right. And he, it, it and he kind he, of feeds itself. Agreed. He, he's clarifying. He's talking about a, ma a manufactured shortage. Oh. And gamey is, yeah, it's a little different Got of a beast, Tom. Um, and one final comment. Uh, Gene says, also hard for mom and pops and small businesses Absolutely. to get uh, access to working capital, too. It's a great point, uh, Gene. Well, Joel, you said something earlier, I'd, and I'd love to get kind of a final thought on this topic. But you said something earlier. These big brands and retailers go and get the inventory that they need. And that's quite literal. And this article alludes to that. Well, addresses it specifically. They have their own ships. They have their own trucks. They have their own planes now, or at least they've chartered them for their sole use, which is not something that's available to smaller retailers, right? So maybe a quick comment on that and then anything else you you know, you know uh, think from this article. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they just have so many advantages. You're absolutely right. They have their own logistics. They can go get the products and you know pick them up directly from the factories. Um, and they just... Look, at the end of the day, it's, you know, we work mostly with the brands. So we're working with the suppliers. And, you know, when you're sitting there deciding you're on allocation, which everybody is on right now for certain right. products, right? You know, who do you fill? And in an ideal world, you'd fill where the need was greatest. But there's a lot of other dynamics at play. You don't want to upset, um, you know, your, your biggest buyers. And so often you're willing to do things even when, it might be suboptimal at kind of a more global level. So uh, a tough, uh, it's been tough sledding for a while, I think for smaller businesses and, and the pandemic hasn't made that easier. Right. But isn't it Excellent. great to see them taking on some of these tactics that I know that you, I know I, and I'm sure you are going yay for you guys, right. <laughs> to think of that. 
Yeah. Well, it's it, interesting. If you read the article, you know, they start talking about just other advantages that these smaller businesses do have. I and mean, they were actually talking a lot about Etsy and, you know, things that are right. more locally sourced and, you know, unique challenges right. there that make for some interesting stories. But um, so it, it's not all bad news, but it, there's no doubt that, you know, the large players have a lot of advantages that are hard to compete against. Excellent point. Uh, Joel, we, we need another hour booked with you. I no appreciate doubt. your take and your perspective and uh, how you explain what we're seeing. So uh, I think you make it easy for all of us to follow along, including myself. Um, I can be behind the herd sometimes. Um, well, hey, uh, what I want to point out, uh, Greg, one of our favorite episodes with the Alloy team was uh, it featured uh, y'all's relationship and partnership with Valvoline. And Amanda, if we have that link handy, I'd love to drop that in the comments. Yeah. In a few minutes here with Joel, we're not going to do it justice in terms of all that they do. Uh, but Joel, in a, in a very small nutshell, tell us what Alloy does and, um, you know, between the uh, rewards, the uh, uh, rewards, awards, recognition, growth, new business. I mean, y'all have been on the move. So what are you doing? Yeah. So I, I think to put it very, very briefly, we are a sov- software as a service company. We work uh, primarily with consumer brands. So Valvoline being a, a great example. Uh, and we we are a connected planning and execution platform. So we show exactly where your demand is, no matter how you sell a product. We are plugged directly into the retailers, distributors, e-commerce platforms. So you are seeing in real time where products are selling and exactly where your inventory is across the supply chain to meet that demand and helping you define those imbalances. So that's uh, that's what we do for a range of of consumer brands, you know, globally. It's an exciting area. Obviously, lots of things are moving right now. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty fun to fun to see all the patterns and all the changes that are going on in the industry today. A lot more data sharing too, which is a, for us something that's very exciting because that's how you can really cut down on that bullwhip effect. Yep, agreed, agreed. Uh, all right, how can folks connect with you and the Alloy team? Yeah, so Scott, as you mentioned, our website is alloy.ai. So you can always go to the website. There is a contact. You know, button there if you want to reach out, uh, learn a bit more. I'm also happy you can reach out to me directly. I'm just Joel at alloy.ai. I put out my email. So if you you want to chat, you want to talk, uh, shoot me a note. Happy happy to do it. Awesome. And and Greg, okay. as we were talking pre-show, uh, this if you want to talk Seahawks football, Joel is your guy. Is that right, Greg? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> especially if you want to talk Marshawn Lynn. <laughs> yeah, let's pick a and different year to talk, talk about Marshawn Seahawks Lynn. football. But uh, you know, we'll talk about the glory days. <laughs> Hey, that that is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and Joel, I really appreciate your appearance here today. We, we've enjoyed collaborating with, with your team going back a few years. It's fascinating to see what you're doing. You know, one of our favorite analogies, I think I'm going to get this right. And Greg, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, um, creating the central nervous system for global supply chains. I think that's, that's such a brilliant uh, way of putting it. So, uh, Joel, keep up the great work. Uh, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to the Alloy team, and we hope to reconnect w- again with you really soon. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Thanks so much, Joel. Joel. Thanks. Good having you. All right, Greg. Uh, we got this comment. I'm gonna share a couple of quick comments here. This one, Roline, I think I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that, and uh, let me know if I am. We want to make sure we get names right. Uh, says thanks for the insight and perspective. I adjusted my planning rhythm to look at risks more often, 80-20, and ABC analysis to focus on the right items and implemented more regular supplier sessions. Love that. Lots of extra communication. Mm-hmm. Up to two tier, uh, up to tier two and three suppliers to gain faster awareness of where markets are going on our core inputs. Tough supply chain season. Love that comment, Greg. No truer words were spoken there. <laughs> Tough supply right. chain season. No doubt. Also like how she's and she it's spelled a two year tough. long season. It's approaching a two year long season, isn't it? The endless way, endless peak. Uh yeah. endless peak, it seems. Well, hey, a lot of good stuff. So so we yeah. we ran the gamut with Joel, right? Uh, even though those three issues were interrelated, they were still very broad and very deep, especially as we're trying to uh you know chat through it in in, a, in basically a 30 minute conversation. But what do you think, Greg, based on what Joel shared here today? What do you leave in this con? What, what what's a key takeaway as you leave this conversation? I think the interconnectivity between enterprises that you were just talking about uh, is really really important. I mean, um, we're in a new era when retailers will share their sales with their with their suppliers. When I was in merchandising, there was no 
way that was going to happen. You can guess what happened during the pause. Um, and and um, I think that's important and that's a critical step forward because to, as Joel was talking about, to reduce the risk in the supply chain, to be able to understand the variability in lead time and, um, and in demand, you need to have connectivity with your trading partners because a simple, I mean, this was one aspect of Mark Lawless's article around inflation right. that I took some issue with, even though the world has changed and the way that we need to look at demand has changed dramatically. There are a lot of people out there still, still pitching the same old techniques, you know, whether it's regression or whether it's um, some other type of forecasting, it's still postcasting. It's still right. looking at history to try and predict the future. And what we need to be doing is very much more heavily weighing the current state, what's currently happening, and much less weighing what's happened in the past. And, um, and that is done in a lot of cases through that connectivity between enterprises, because things are changing so fast. And, Agreed. and they impact the supply chain, as we've all seen, even if they happen fast and for a relatively short time, like getting stuck in the Suez Canal, they impact the supply chain for hundreds, thousands of companies for a long time following. It's like it's like a breakdown on the 405 in L.A. You know, they might only be broke down for an hour, but they're going to cause a four hour backup <laughs> on on the on the freeway. Right. Because every, it's it's the train car effect. The box car right. effect. Every car has to slow down, and every car that slows down slows down the one behind them, and so on. So, um, supply chain works a lot like that, and that interoperability, that interconnectivity, is really, really critical to um, to doing that. So, it's good to see that Alloy is enabling that for a lot of companies, particularly for the brands that they're working with. Agreed. Yeah. The 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 um, you know, consumer sentiment and preferences and behaviors are changing and shifting, shifting. For, uh, in, in all in all ways, so often, and you got platforms like Alloy that 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 uh, give you that con basically constant check-in points, right? So you can really monitor what's going on rather than on a weekly basis or even a daily basis. That, that's not good enough these days in the, in this right. world we're living in. So, uh, love to see uh, all the growth there at Alloy. Uh, a couple of quick comments. Hey, we got Rolene pronounced, uh, hey, pronounced the right you. way. <laughs> That never happens. Uh, Peter says, SRM and regular business reviews are critical to stay in the course, coupled with clear KRIS and service um, SLAs. Service level agreement. Yeah. Thank you. I don't you. know what Chris is. I'm not sure what Chris is either. So, Peter, yeah, drop that, that in that there. for us, Peter, literally. Hey, some Monday mornings, acronyms come easier than others. That's how it goes. That so true. <laughs> Mohib, I'm with you. Rolene, that, that was uh, that was one of the comments of the day. So appreciate you sharing that. And Gene, thanks so much. Uh, great to have you here today uh, and appreciate your comments here. Yeah. Uh, we love spending time with all of y'all and learning from all of you uh, as we navigate these uh, these crazy, crazy times. And Peter, uh, KPIs, I think it was just uh -huh. a mistype there. So thank you, Peter. Okay, folks, be sure to check out uh, our friends at Alloy, alloy.ai. Uh, be sure to connect with Greg White. By the way, um, you may or may not know. So Greg usually uh, picks some of his favorite developments out in industry, and he drops some perspective, some hot POV you don't want to miss. Typically on LinkedIn, anywhere from two to four times a week, uh, and it really it he tells it like it is in a in a been there, done that, and then some way. So it's some of my favorite social media to consume, Greg. And how can folks connect with you? Yeah, of course you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm at Gregory S. White on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter as much, but it's also a good way to get hold of or get links to the articles that I post. Um, yeah, and uh, and you can email me anywhere you can find my email. Uh, no, <laughs> Greg at supplychainnow.com. That's right. It's .com. just <laughs> just that easy. Whatever you do, listen up when he is uh, uh, letting us know what we need to be Thank looking. You for reviving that. I've quit. I've quit. Putting that no in kidding. my in my summaries, and I need to get that back in there. Got Listen to, up. you got to. That's Greg White. Uh, that is Greg White. It's synonymous with who you are. So uh, check that out. Make sure you connect with Greg. Uh, and big thanks to, by the way, big thanks to our team behind the scenes here today, Amanda and Clay and Jada. I appreciate all the great production, folks. I know we're rolling into. It's already, gosh, the sixth of December. The sixth of wow. December. 
but whatever, you know, wherever you are, if it's morning, noon, or night, I'm hoping that you find a chance to unplug, refresh, and re-energize here towards the end of the calendar year. And uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year from your friends here at Supply Chain Now. Hey, one more challenge, though, Greg. One more challenge. Folks got to be like Marshawn, right? Do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Feast mode. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.